0: Thank you for listening to the Impact Leaders podcast, featuring leaders focusing on sustainable and impact investment and performance with purpose, sharing their stories, experiences and advice to increase awareness in the market and highlight best practices in order to help more companies and institutions transition more capital into the industry faster. I'm JP Dalman, founder and CEO of ILM Partners. I am grateful that you're choosing to invest your time in doing this, since I know that you're going to feel encouraged and inspired. Make sure you subscribe to get the notifications from your preferred podcast platform. And do follow us on social media to stay connected. We appreciate your support, it helps keep impact leaders going. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Impact Leaders. I hope everyone is safe and healthy and that you are doing as well as you can, given what we're going through. So here we are again, recording a new episode for you. And in today's episode of Impact Leaders, we have Yuni Choi as our guest. Hello, Yuni.
1: Hi, JP. Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome, and thank you very much for being with us today. I think, Uni, today you are in Hong Kong. Is that right?
1: Yes, correct.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. So that is another first for the podcast. I think also our official public first from the region. So uh, double thank you for that.
1: Wow. Great to hear that. My honor.
0: Nice. Nice. So as it is for the benefit of the listeners, I will introduce Uni to you. Uni. Choi is Director for Investment at RS Group. Uni focuses on the investment portfolio of RS Group and has 14 years of investment experience across public and private equities and multi asset portfolio management. Before joining the group, Uni was Vice President at Tao Investment, an impact driven private equity firm investing in the apparel supply chain. Prior to Tao, she worked as a senior investment analyst at Mirai Asset Global Investment, focusing on fundamental analysis and investment in Asian public equities. She's also an angel investor and has advised a dozen social entrepreneurs over five years. A native of South Korea, Uni earned her MBA from Columbia Business School and also holds a BA in Business Administration from Yonsei University, and she received her CFA charter in 2011. That's a very short introduction, unit, But I'm not sure if you want to add anything else.
1: No, that sounds great. I think you covered all the major points.
0: Perfect. And as it is our tradition, you know, our first question for you is: What is sustainable and impact investing for you and/or for your organizations?
1: Sure. For ours group, sustainable investing means investing in the future we want to create. All investments have impact, either negative or positive, and our intention in making sustainable and impact investment is to build a future that is truly sustainable for both environment and humanity. This means actively avoiding certain sectors such as fossil fuels, arms, tobacco, and deploying into solutions that can solve environmental and social issues such as renewable energy and investing in forests. Technically, though, there is a difference between sustainable investing and impact investing. We view sustainable investing a broad umbrella that houses different sustainable investing approaches, which can range from exclusions, ESG integration, thematic Investment approaches such as investing in clean energy or healthcare. And finally, impact investing, which is investing with clear intention to generate positive, measurable social and environmental impact and also manage and measure the impact throughout the investment stages from due diligence to exiting. For this reason, historically, impact investing mostly referred to private market strategies such as impact PE funds or impact private debt funds, even though now some of the public market strategies can be included in impact investing.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and I very much like and I am on the same definition, technically, as you say, making the difference between sustainable, the umbrella and the different strategies and and impact. So I like that. So about your organization, I just wanted to read uh, quick introduction from your website first, which is uh, rsgroup.asia, if people want to visit it. And it says that you are investing in a more sustainable and equitable global community. And in terms of your mission and vision, it says that your aim is to create a paradigm shift in our societal values and priorities so that economic growth does not jeopardize human development and environmental sustainability. And it says that through your investment, you seek to shape a compassionate society that desires a better world for future generations while protecting the commons upon which all life on earth depends. And finally, it says your ambition, a world in which our values and actions reflect our appreciation of our interdependence with the rest of humanity and with the environment. I wanted to read that because to start with, I find it so inspiring. But please tell us more about RS Group and what you do.
1: Yes, definitely. So RS Group is a single family office based in Hong Kong. We were founded 10 years ago by our principal, Miss Annie Chen. When she inherited her assets from her family, she didn't take the common position of preserving or growing assets, but instead asked, what's the purpose of wealth? She then first explored philanthropy, but when the financial crisis happened in 2008, she realized the importance of harnessing capital markets and started questioning whether it would be possible to invest in a way that aligns with one's value and deploying capital in a way that that does not damage our planet or people, but actually contributes to their well-beings. And then she discovered sustainable and impact investing and that's how our school was born. The three main pillars of our work are investment, philanthropy, and advocacy. On investment, we manage a 100% sustainably invested portfolio. And that's the pillar that I lead as the director of investments. When we started our journey about 10 years ago, ESG and impact investing was now well-known, especially in Asia. And also, there were not many products available as well. So we learned by doing, but also we were supported by expertise advisors, including Jed Emerson, who developed a more holistic approach called the Total Portfolio Approach, Mm -hmm. and also Eva Knoffel, our investment advisor, who coined the term of ESG. Still, it took us about five years to fully transition our portfolio to a 100% sustainably invested portfolio. Even though we think that for investors who are starting their journey now, they will be able to achieve that much faster given the advancement of the field. When we completed our journey as an impact investor, we wanted to share our journey and also disclose transparently our portfolio and all investments we have made, as well as financial return and impact the portfolio generated. The portfolio is still available on our website, published back in 2016. With the report, our advocacy work started naturally as other family offices and asset owners came to us for advice. We also realized that there was a strong need for a community or platform that like-minded asset owners can come together, learn together, and invest together. Thus, we incubated a platform called Sustainable Finance Initiative and spun it out recently as an independent organization. We now have around 20 to 25 asset owners actively engaged, and we have a dedicated team of three amazing women who are leading this important advocacy work. On philanthropy, we have been supporting various NGOs and social enterprises over the years, and most of them are related to building ecosystem for impact investing and also climate change, which has been our key theme since 2013. We often ask ourselves whether making investments or grants would be more effective to solve particular issues and also generate impact. And one of our initiatives, Natural Capital Initiatives, where we seek to deploy catalytic capital to build the ecosystem and attract capital in nature-based solutions in Asia, It's not strictly grant initiative or investment initiative, but a blend of both. We discuss internally which type of capital will be best suited for particular projects, which could be about building pipeline or building a deeper talent pool. So essentially, all our work is guided by our mission, which is really about creating a sustainable future.
0: I like it. Very much. And that's why I was, you know, very happy and excited to have you and representing the REST group today because, you know, what we try to do with the podcast is to share, you know, as part of our support, you know, and trying to create advocacy is to share some of the stories and some of the, like you say, the journeys of others so that other people can learn, right? So I picked up a very interesting case study on your founder, on Annie Chen on the Philanthropy website at Coots, and it kind of show a little bit of the journey that she went through first as managing the funds of the family and then trying to understand how she could make the most of the funds that, that she had, as well as the journey that she went through to understanding what this all meant in terms of creating, generating impact. So I find that, again, truly inspirational and then the way that you explain in terms of how you went through these different stages and i highly recommend people to go to your website and also see the report that you mentioned in terms of the portfolio and then obviously we'll talk maybe more about the platform it's really a really good case study all together uh, not only any but rs group so that other family offices i think can learn from and then Obviously, you know, the whole point now that you are creating with the collaboration Sustainable Finance Initiative, which I think is great. But can I just quickly ask you about, can you just explain? So in terms of the couple of concepts that you mentioned there. So I think you talk about a blended value at times in your website. So I'm assuming that is that related to the grand plus investment approach. And then you talk to yes. you about the portfolio approach as well, which can you just share some light on those two concepts.
1: Yes, definitely. So total portfolio approach is essentially using 100% of our capital for impact. Unfortunately, still in the industry, we see that a lot of family offices have very uh, bifurcated approaches. So they will have a philanthropy arm and then they try to do good through that, supporting various organizations and NGOs. But the investment arm in terms of the approach, it would be totally different and in the approach would be totally commercial. So some of the asset owners, they may, for example, support a lot of conservation NGOs, but in their portfolio, they may have a palm oil companies that actually is the big cause of deforestation in Asia right. or another case is that maybe some asset owners are actively supporting healthcare NGOs, but in their portfolio, they may have tobacco companies and then they are not aware of this, the negative impact of their investment. So the total portfolio approach is really to look at the, all the activities holistically and then deploy the capital, 100% of capital accordingly. And blended value is also similar, which means that when we make investments or even making grants. We don't just look at uh financial impact, we look at social and environmental impact holistically. And those together, three components together, we call it blended value. So it's the holistic lens that we have when we screen our investments or screen our grant opportunities.
0: Perfect, perfect. One word that was coming to my mind on the Total Portfolio approach is about uh, coherence, right? So it's coherence across your portfolio, saying that, you know, if you are trying to do good and create an impact, you're going to be having conflicting assets, basically.
1: Absolutely, okay. yeah.
0: Okay. And in terms of the examples, perhaps, of, you know, the investments that you make, you know, I can see that the origins were more philanthropic, and then obviously you're using kind of a blended approach. So can you give us maybe some examples of, you know, what you have in your portfolio? and perhaps how it has evolved over the years?
1: Sure, definitely. Maybe I'll give a quick overview of our investment portfolio. If you look at our portfolio just at the very high level, it may not look too different from other investment portfolio of other family offices. So we invest globally, invest across different asset classes. But what makes us unique is that all investments we make are 100% sustainable and impact investments. Given our small team, we mostly invest in the funds, even though occasionally we invest in direct deals when we have a strong convictions. One of the direct investments we had and exited recently is actually Sustain Analytics, which is a leading ESG data ratings analytics provider, which was acquired by Morningstar earlier this year. Actually, we first invested in that company back in 2009. So it was an sort of amazing journey that we took together. Going back to our portfolio, which is mostly comprised of funds, this means that we have ESG, best-in-class, or solutions-driven equity funds sustainable fixed income funds, and targeted impact PE or VC funds in our portfolio. Actually, some of our managers participated in the previous episodes of impact leaders, including Web, as well as Bamboo. As a family Ooh, office, yeah. yes, as a family mm-hmm. office, we have been able to operate without certain restrictions that institutional investors are subject to. And one position we had the privilege of taking was investing in the first-time funds for new innovative ESG strategies. One good example is Webb, which manages an impact-driven public equity strategy. We invested in the strategy back in 2013, and the firm's AUM back then was only around £50 million. Now I think they manage like £400 million. But we believed in the strategy and moreover in the team which was really mission-driven and greatly aligned with our values. And Web did not disappoint us and really continued to push the boundary over the years. They genuinely want to invest in more impactful companies within the public markets, which could be challenging time to time, but they don't follow the market. For example, last year or even this year when the major tech stocks or FANG rallied hard, they did not follow the trend as those who are not supported by their investment framework. And their company engagements are also very unique and impact-driven. For example, they have been introducing theory of change to the managements of the companies in the portfolio. In public equity, we also have been a long-time investor in generation, which really has shown over the years the long-term high conviction approach and deep integration of ESG can drive significant alpha. On the private side, we have invested in funds that target BOP markets such as Oasis Fund managed by Bamboo Finance and other funds managed by other pioneering impact investing organizations such as Acumen and Responsibility. For many of them, funds we invested were the first venture investing vehicles that they launched And we are happy that we were able to seed those strategies, which also help them to continue to develop their approaches and launch other impact strategies. Other funds include SJF, which is a U.S. impact investing fund that across multiple themes, including environment, health, education. SJF is also very mission driven, and they have been able to achieve healthy triple bottom line. And another fund we have in the portfolio is Adelia Climate Fund 1, which was another innovative strategy we seeded, which invests in forests and activities preventing deforestation in emerging and frontier markets.
0: Great. It's interesting. So you have a real kind of multi-asset portfolio, right? So you mentioned... The public equity side is very interesting because when I was thinking about, you know, web, I do promote web in, in different ways. I do like very much what they have achieved, and I think it's a great example. And they do focus on energy transition, right? And, you know, that's why they don't need to follow some of the trends or some of the specific companies or stocks while they still focus on their. A strategy right so i was going to ask you when you select some of these funds perhaps you know where on the public side web and generation how do you go about understanding what they're doing versus you know your values or you know the family office's values
1: yes yeah, so i think it's often quite tricky area but i think it's really important to understand the team and the people what's driving them, how their previous experiences are linked to current venture. And often, I mean, we view a lot of ESG funds. And if we just look at their presentations or documents, like all of them, I think especially the bigger asset management firms, like they have very shiny presentation that very well organized. But I think in the end, what gives us the real insight is when we really talk to the managers, and really understand how they implement the ESG framework. And the magic here is really getting to know them and discussing different investments that they have, how they engage the companies, what companies they want to invest. And often, I think, for the actual companies, they own in the portfolio that can actually give us a lot of insights because that shows that how their philosophy or ESG framework actually translates into the actions so we do spend a lot of time actually to get to know the manager and their approaches
0: yeah and that's nice to hear you know directly from you because many times you know i interview obviously the fund managers in some of these firms and i always ask them so what are you looking for but not all the time we have the chance to talk to the actual and in a way this time the investor right so it's good to understand you know how you go about kind of deciding, you know, who to engage with, who to give your funds to. And then does that change in terms of, you know, when you decide different asset class? So if you, let's say, decide on the private equity side, is there anything different or do the same principles apply?
1: Yeah, I think in looking at uh, private equity strategies, I think some of the same principles also apply, of course, uh, looking at the people and team. And I think especially for impact, private P funds, it's also very important to look at whether there is a proper incentive structure placed in so that the key people or key members of the team can be retained over the years. Because unfortunately, what we have seen over the years, especially some of the funds that were launched maybe back in 2010 or much earlier, there were a lot of turnover, team turnovers, because there was no proper incentive structure placed in and then the fund size was basically not sustainable to retain the key people. So we do look at this area also quite closely. And I think for us, when we evaluate impact private strategies, we also look at our role as an investor. So in another way, we look at additionality. So We are looking at whether the funds and managers are really closing the gaps that were not previously addressed. And the capital that we bring as an investor can also make a difference. So this is additional component that we see that we have when we evaluate private market strategies.
0: Maybe just to add to that, so your role as an investor... So how much of an engagement and normally what does it look like, you know, for people that do not run a family office, you know, what does it look like in terms of, you know, what you do with them and perhaps, you know, how much you do beyond giving your money to them?
1: So as an investor, as a responsible and impact investor, we see engagement with our asset managers, an important duty of us. So... We closely monitor our funds. So we have very in-depth annual review process. And this year, we actually asked a lot of questions to our fund manager. What's the impact of COVID? How you are supporting the companies in the portfolio? Whether there is any company that is having a serious liquidity challenge? And is there any support that you need from the LPs? So, through the yearly engagements, we make sure that we are up to date with their activities and also make sure that they are hands on with their portfolio companies and add value. So, this applies to both public and private strategies. And for public strategies, one of the areas that we have been actively engaging our asset managers is incorporating climate risks and opportunities in the investment process. So we have ongoing dialogues and with our asset managers on these issues.
0: Interesting. So because you have this mix, you know, of the different asset classes, right? And then also you do give on the other side of the spectrum, you also provide grants, right? So how do you manage to kind of identify and measure the impact that your portfolio is having because it's very interesting you have a quiet you know, real mix, you know, which people normally say, you know, it's so hard to just measure the impact of one asset class. So let alone mm. you know uh, multi asset classes. So how does it work? You know, what's your methodology, your approach on that respect?
1: Yeah, it's actually not very easy <laughs> because we actually invest across asset classes, invest in different funds. So for investment, we look at it a little bit differently for private market strategies and public market strategies. For private market strategies, for quantitative impact, we recast impact data at the holding level and consolidate them annually. Many managers report their impact based on IRIS metrics, but not all of them. And there can be other inconsistencies in how our managers report impact for example, for job creation, some managers may report only full time workers. Others, managers report both part time and full time workers. So mm. sometimes we need to apply certain assumptions. So it's not mm. perfect. For public equity and fixed income fund, aggregating sustainability performance is actually more challenging, also because of the different formats that they use when they report sustainability metrics. One exercise we plan to do though is to measure impact by looking at what percentage of underlying companies revenue is linked to sustainable solutions such as renewable energy, energy efficiency, water management, etc. For this, we plan to use a service provider we already identified them to perform the analysis to aggregate the performance and also to compare the performance by managers, so those who inform our asset allocation decision and also we'll compare that to the benchmark to see how we are performing. So later this year we plan to search for a new global equity fund so this matrix will be one of the key considerations.
0: Great and you mentioned a couple of the sustainable solutions so are there any specific kind of high-level areas that you focus on and then are there any kind of lower level factors that you look at? And within that, perhaps, you know, do you also include SDGs? Sorry, that's a three-in-one question, but...
1: Yes, in terms of sustainable solutions, our focus has been more broad. So our managers have different investment approaches. Some are more active in renewable energy and some are more active in investing in nature, like Adelia. But for our group, actually one of the Areas we have been focusing on as natural capital or nature-based solutions. For that, we actually established an initiative earlier this year called Natural Capital Initiative. And we are really trying to deploy our catalytic capital to attract commercial investments into nature-based solutions in Asia. So last year, we actually funded a design funding window with Convergence, which is a blended finance think tank or platform based in Canada. So we are giving a feasibility study or proof of concept types of grants to practitioners developing innovative blended finance solutions targeting nature in Asia. So this is one of the key themes we are focusing on in sustainable solutions. In terms of SDG, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so far, we pull our impact. We have not used a SDG alignment in particular, but actually we have seen the SDG alignment reporting has really mainstreamed. And a lot of, actually, all of our managers are reporting their SDG alignment in different formats. And the analysis that I mentioned earlier, the, the sustainable product and solutions analysis when we perform that we can also align the results to sdgs so when we complete the analysis we also plan to share the result and also share the lessons learned with the broader community
0: okay so again i'm just trying to replay to picture myself so what i hear is that you know, in terms of the why the approach is all about anything that is improving the world in a way i think there is some themes around for example like the one you mentioned something relating to nature and then obviously you know related to your vision and some of the other comments you made but it's interesting because sometimes you know i interview other people and they go straight into okay we do just energy or just water or infrastructure right so you are looking at all the full range of solutions without just a pinning yourself to just a couple of areas did I hear that correctly
1: yes correct and also it's because we invest through fund managers and then they do have different approaches and maybe to explain a little bit more why we decided to focus on nature or nature-based solutions it's because over the years within the climate change mitigation theme We have seen a lot of themes like renewable energy or sustainable transportation, infrastructure uh, sort of mainstreamed and then successfully raised uh, commercial capital. But nature-based solutions, which are really important in meeting the climate goals, have not been able to attract uh, commercial capital, partially because the ecosystem services that nature provides are not fully valued. The air water, all the resources that nature provides. That's why we have started looking at a blended finance, which is really the use of um, philanthropy or concessionary capital to attract uh, commercial institutional capital. So that's why we partner with convergence and really started to focus this area to close that gap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So When I was interviewing Florian Cambridge from Bamboo Capital, he was talking about blended finance and, you know, the power that has to grow, you know, the amount of capital that we can bring in and the impact that it can have. So does that relate to what you were saying?
1: Yes, definitely. I think especially in emerging markets and frontier markets and also some areas of impact investing, like BOP, bottom of the pyramid markets, or nature-based solutions, the risks of investing in these areas are still high. So blended finance mechanisms really help to improve that risk-return dynamics, a risk-return profile so that the blended finance funds can attract mainstream institutional capital.
0: Interesting, interesting. And I didn't want to leave this section before asking you. So very interesting that you on the direct investment side, you invested in Sustainalytics, right? And then obviously bought by Morningstar. What is it that made you go into maybe that area? It's very much related to data and you know perhaps, you know, ESG rating, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so when we invested in the company, actually a little bit more background is that the first investment we made was on a company called Responsible Research based in Singapore, and we made the investment back in 2009. And then the company was acquired by Sustain Analytics a few years later, and then we made a few more rounds of follow-on investments. But our intention was really to support mainstreaming ESG investing. And to do that, ESG analytics and ESG data is critical because without that, asset managers cannot really design Mm -hmm. products. And now a lot of asset managers, they have in-house ratings and they have in-house knowledge. But back then, uh, those ESG data and knowledge was really missing in the market. And another reason we invested in the company was to also build the ESG talent pool in Asia, so the talent building is something that has been very close to any's heart and for natural capital initiative as well, we are looking into talents because there are not many people who understand both nature conservation and finance
0: interesting, I think I understand, and obviously, you have done you know so much in so many different levels, so any particular challenges and our lessons learned through everything that you have done so far that you can share with perhaps I'm thinking about other family offices that are trying to or thinking of doing something that like you are doing?
1: Yes, definitely. I think the field is really continuously evolving, especially impact measurement and also analyzing climate risk and opportunities of investment portfolios. But one lesson we learned over the years is that It is extremely important to engage with our managers on their impact management and reporting because the field is, again, continuously evolving and changing. We look at how impact figures have changed, how many companies are reporting relevant data, what assumptions were made. Those observations and conversations with the managers often give us additional insights on the impact performance We also ask how they evaluate impact risks and structuring responsible access. We believe closely monitoring and engaging managers is also our duty as a responsible investor. Okay.
0: And if we start thinking now about the future, what do you think are the kind of perhaps opportunities as well as challenges that you think are in front of us?
1: Yes, uh, interesting question. I think one of the fundamental challenges in further accelerating sustainable and impact investing is that positive and negative externalities are not fully priced in. This means like coal miners or harmful oil and gas exploration projects can still access funding at a rate not too different from green projects. In the context of natural capital, as I mentioned, the ecosystem services that nature provides, are not fully valued, and that's why blended finance structures are often required. Thus, I see that the opportunities are in reversing these. It can mean carbon prices rising to a fair level, whether driven by regulations or demands, Mm -hmm. or using technology to measure some of the externalities more correctly. For example, when ecosystem services are properly valued, Companies were not able to justify damaging natural resources to increase their profits, such as producing palm oil from from cleared lands, or overfishing, or use of unsustainable fishing methods.
0: Yes, it's very interesting. So we had Mark Campanale as a guest uh, on the previous episode. So, you know, the carbon pricing piece, you know, and the impact was, you know, quite notable. And then also the way that now all of the companies are going to be check you know even by using satellites so it's very very difficult for the future for companies to escape even if they don't report you know to escape mm. the fact that they are you know having an effect they're going to have a negative impact potentially but therefore you know this will where well, there will be methods to you know be able to price these as well on the investments right so it's a very good point and one thing that came to mind as we were speaking you know in terms of wealth management and the creation of wealth and then the focus of you know family offices and, and wealthy individuals in terms of either trying, let's call it the old-fashioned way of trying to maintain and grow wealth and capital without caring or without factoring you know the effect on the world and on, on the sustainability and then the fact that you can maintain and grow your funds but if there is no world to enjoy so there's no much point to it, right? So there's something about an awareness point for any family offices that are listening to this episode. I think that it's about, okay, how can we transition, you know, ourselves yeah. as a firm, right? And that's and on top of everything, because I think we cover so many points here that I think that they can have so many. I always talk about the golden nuggets, so many lessons, you know, through everything that you share, but any other area that you think, you know, that they should be thinking about if they're starting today going forward,
1: Yes, I think with all this happening now in the world, I think now we are more convinced about our decision to accelerate capital deployment for our work and philanthropy initiatives, including natural capital initiative to preserve and enhance natural resources. We also have another initiative called Hong Kong 2050, Mm -hmm. which is an initiative to decarbonize Hong Kong by 2050. So I always viewed her wealth as her responsibility is not bound to the notion of capital preservation. Yeah, as you said, like, what's the purpose of holding on to walls if we pass the point of no return in terms yeah. of climate change and other issues? So we are still optimistic that the current challenges we are facing can be the catalyst as businesses, investors, and general public now realize that we really need to change the old way of doing things and sustainability needs to be at the core of everything and we sincerely hope that sustainable investing does not stay as one type of investing but becomes the only way of investing.
0: Yes and it's interesting because yes I don't want to like replay I don't want you to like repeat all the things that you already have shared maybe I take advantage and just say, you know, what I've been learning from just listening to you is about the fact that you have to get out there, you have to uh, be involved. I always ask this question about how do we scale up, you know, the existing funds, you know, and what I hear when you share your story is if I have wealth, if I have a family office, or if I manage funds, is around getting out there, finding these fund managers or, you know, in the different asset classes. And then potentially some companies that, you know, you can relate to try to create a framework that, you know, works, you know, for your family and for, you know, the values of the family and the investor. And then that is what it should help people, you know, be able to transition their office into a sustainable fund, right? On the sustainable the strategy and a sustainable approach, does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, definitely. We believe that there is no one-size-fits-all type kind yes. of approach, especially for family offices, because they have different return-risk parameters, like different themes they are interested in or different regions. So there is a great diversity there. So every family office needs to really think about those questions and decide and what kind of approach they will follow in deploying their assets. And about challenges in scaling up the existing funds, I think one challenge I see is that I think many investors still think that moving their capital to ESG ETFs are enough. But in our opinion, while ESG ETFs are better than traditional ETFs, those are not the best solutions. There is no active company engagement, no fundamental ESG research, investors would need to understand ESG label itself is not enough. They need to really move their capital into strategies that have a really robust ESG integration.
0: Okay. And one thing I also was thinking in terms of, okay, so how do they go about doing these? And what I heard, right? I think at the beginning of our conversation was that you did use a lot of advisors, a few advisors, and then a few third parties and external companies that help you develop all of this, right? So you didn't do it alone. And then what I heard as well is that, so you had been launching initiatives to collaborate, right? So, you know, people do not need to do things on their own like you've done it because now there are... Groups right, like Sustainable Finance Initiative in Hong Kong, and then you know the SDG 500. Now you know we talked about with Bamboo Capital, for example. So there are so many things happening now. So it it should be invert the commas a bit easier, right?
1: Yes, definitely. We believe so. Yeah. If so, for family offices uh, based in Hong Kong or other cities in Asia, we really welcome them to the Sustainable Finance Initiative. And also, there are a lot of platforms out there, and one of the long-standing platform or communities is Tonic, so they used to be mostly active in the U.S. and Europe. But because now there are more Asian investors interested in impact investing, now they have an Asian representative and then now they have a lot more workshops and seminars in Asian time zone. So in terms of learning and collaborating, uh, I think there are a lot of ways and a lot of different platforms out there now.
0: Great. Thank you for making that comment, which is very relevant for the growth, you know, across regions, right? And on that point, any particular challenge you think for the region, perhaps that's worth highlighting?
1: Yes, I think Asia, I think for sustainable investing, Europe really has been leading the way. Yeah, in terms of framework and regulations, et cetera. I think one particular challenge I see in Asia is the talent gap. Mm -hmm. So when we see like banks or asset managers, they have very sizable sustainability team, but they are based in Europe, London, or the US. And they may have one person, ESG analyst or sustainability champion based in Singapore or Hong Kong that oversees the entire region, but that is simply not sufficient because there are a lot of educations to be done internally and externally and also engaging with regulators, engaging with companies. So we want to see more um, asset managers, more banks actually investing in the ESG talents in the region.
0: Yes, that's a good point. And uh, even in Europe, I've seen you know those companies that are trying to transition that you know still don't have um kind of full-time allocated people so they just have like you know like two three hats and they're trying to do you know esg and impact and everything while they're trying to do product development etc which normally tends to be a challenge as well and then one last comment i was just gonna bring up for people you know that are trying to think about what to focus on you know i picked up the uh, kind of the Bill Gates notes that came out recently and where he said, and I'm very mindful about how bad COVID has been. You know, he did mention, you know, COVID-19 is awful, but climate change could be much worse. And he talks about, you know, the lessons and the response that, you know, the guidance, the response we can have around climate change to prepare. And he talks about focusing on science and innovation and Making sure that the solutions work for the poor countries too, you know, which you I think you mentioned about that focus as well, and the fact that we have to start now. So I thought i just close this section, you know, by reminding people, you know, that we need we, this is very, very important subject.
1: That's all
0: it, yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to uh, finish it a little bit more about you, perhaps, Yuni, if that's okay. So I just wanted to, you know, understand how did you end up? But interesting enough, you know, being a talent and a specializing in what you're doing, I you know, and kind of what made you join the group, etc.
1: Yes. So, what made that transition from traditional investing to impact sustainable investing back in 2013? Yeah, when I first learned about sustainable and impact investing, it just connected all the puzzles for me. For my career, I think I took certain career risks, such as quitting my previous job as a senior equity analyst, which is now already a long time ago, and moving from private, public equity to impact private equity space, which is not a common move. And eventually, to my current role, And what made me to join our Group is I thought it was a really unique opportunity to join the mission-driven team. Actually, we have all-women team, which is also quite unique in Hong Kong, and also leverage both my public and private equity experiences, and also to learn how to manage a 100% sustainably invested portfolio, which is a truly rare opportunity in Asia. So basically, I had to join the group.
0: Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned that point, you know, you have a very uh, women, kind of a number of men in the company, right? It's a good point. We were talking about that offline before as well, you know, the importance of the participation of women. And then you also mentioned, I think, I can not remember if you mentioned that the Sustainable Finance Initiative is also uh, three women yes. that run it yes so uh,
1: correct actually we are entirely women team <laughs>
0: yeah, fascinating aside from i think i can only see on the website that you have you mentioned Jed emerson before and then i think evil Konopel. yes uh, interesting and then yeah and then the fact of taking risks right so that it seems to be that it's all about many ways you know you and That alignment to a rest group about you know just risk taking and getting into areas that really matter and any particular point that drives your value that drives you in terms of you know what is it that you care the most about you know and what is happening in the world perhaps that is making you so excited to be doing what you're doing
1: Yeah, so i think when i started the journey my focus was more on the social impact however over the years And especially since I started working for an group, I have learned a lot more about climate change or climate emergency and came to understand more deeply the urgency and severity of the issue. I feel ironic that most of the business decisions and economic decisions are not still fully incorporating nature and climate issues. And I think nature-based solutions, this is the theme that I increasingly feel more passionate about.
0: Nice. And anyone that has inspired you through your life and career, a person or anything that you want to maybe take the opportunity to thank too?
1: Yes, definitely. There are several mentors I turn to often. One person, his name is Doug Lee, managing an impact fund in Korea called D3 Jubilee. And Annie, obviously, also my mentor. But... I think for me, the impact investing community itself has been an inspiration. I still remember when I first explored the space seven years ago and reached out to like many senior people, they gladly responded to my cold emails and sometimes talked to me over like two, three hours in the first meetings or calls. I think the community spirit, willing to share their knowledge and lessons learned and the transparency. And also the warmth of people have been inspiring me all along.
0: Nice. And on that note, one before the last question. So what of all these people and all these leaders you have worked with, and obviously you see through, you know, Annie and your mentors and, you know, your fund managers, what is it that makes a, a leader or more specifically, I always say, an impact leader to you? What is the characteristic that you always see eh, commonly across?
1: Yes. Great question. I think an impact leader is who chooses a more difficult path intentionally. That could mean testing a new way of investing or investment thesis to solve an environmental or social problem, or trying to change the investment model within his or her organization by being a sustainability champion are choosing to work in more difficult frontier markets or things, there could be like hundreds of ways, but the commonality I see is that they aim to do things differently, which is naturally more challenging to execute at times. And also importantly on impact leader, I think is who is willing to share the journey and lessons from walking the more difficult path with other impact investors.
0: Nice. Thank you for being an impact leader in that respect today and your journey. Really appreciate it. And finally, any final call to action for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so we love to see more family offices, especially in Asia, but also globally being more active in impact investing. Yeah, as I said, family office can really play a unique role and can be nimbler and flexible in deploying catalytic capital or supporting first-time strategies. And also, I mentioned natural capital investing or nature-based solutions in Asia is one theme that we are quite focused on, and we are always looking for co-founders and co-investors or people to collaborate yeah. with. So if this is something you are interested in, uh, please reach out.
0: Yes. And on that point, I was going to ask you as well, so if people want to reach to get in touch with you or potentially see if you will be interested in investing in, you know, their fund and all these different ways of assessing if they can collaborate with you. What is the best way to do it?
1: Yeah, I think messaging me on LinkedIn is one way. And also my email is unichoy@rsgroup.asia So you can reach me and my emails as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much for being with us today. Really, really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me again.
0: So it is bye for now and until our next episode of Impact Leaders and God bless you all. Please remember to check our sponsors' website for upcoming events. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Impact Leaders. Impact Leaders is brought to you by ILA and Partners and Fast Forward 2030. Please connect with us at ILA and Partners for advice on how to transition into sustainable and impact investing and go to fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business models.